this evening, and uh, always thankful for the opportunity to preach. Thankful to see you here this evening. I thought, well, you know, Zach said Brother John's going to be preaching, they'd all be out of here, and gone. no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I don't take it lightly to be able to stand and preach the Word of God. I'm thankful for our church family. I'm thankful to have a church that is made up of people who desire to open the Word together, who are not here just for the fellowship, and we have great fellowship, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm thankful that we can open the Word of God and that we can come together for just a few moments and see what God has for us. I pray that our prayer this evening in each one of our own hearts is that, that I will trust and obey. When we talk about our church, there is no doubt in my mind that we have a church that is mindful and concerned with the things when it comes to the next generation. Um, having been here now for four years and seeing the way that our church gives to uh, these young people to go to camp and go to different activities and things like that, the investment that our people make in their lives of taking time to sign up to get involved in the Generation to Generation Conference or in the VBS Day, there is no question in my mind that our church has a true concern when it comes to the next generation. I'm not preaching this message this, more, this evening with saying that, oh, no, our church is not concerned. It's not that. This evening's message is a message to try to encourage you, but also to try to remind you and myself, especially, that more can be done. The truth is, is that sometimes we can live our lives in a segmented kind of way. When it comes to church things, it's church things, and when it comes to everything else, we live that separately. Not in a bad way, not trying to separate the way we live in church from our, our daily lives. It just happens. When you're at work, you're thinking about work. That's the way our minds work and, and happen. When you're at home, you're worried about the mess that your kids are making or your husband is making or what your wife is making for dinner or things of that nature. That's just the way our brains process. It is hard at times for us to think about the things of God in every moment and every day as we go through the day. But the truth is, when it comes to it, and especially us as adults, the next generation is watching our every response in the light of how we view God. The truth is, is this, is when, we, when our children look at us and we respond in a certain way, while we may be justified in their discipline and in their punishment, they're asking the question, is that how God, and Satan is tempting them to believe, man, if your dad believes what he says, he wouldn't have punished you that way, whether he's right or not. That is how Satan is attacking the next generation. Judges chapter number 2 gives us a little insight, I think, from the Lord about a generation that came after there was a generation that if we all took a poll, if I asked every adult and even if I asked every young person in this room about their generation or the generation to come, what they would desire for them, we would all wholeheartedly say what we find in Judges chapter 2 is not what we want. But if we're careful, it is what we will see happen. Judges chapter number 2 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his, his inheritance, to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Hiris in the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. And note the words, and there arose another generation. The Bible goes on to continue to say, after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Tonight, for just a few minutes, I'd like to to speak in this thought and this idea, and I want you to keep those words in your mind, those thoughts from this passage, another generation. So many times when we come to church and we we live, we hear so much about the church of tomorrow, uh, the next generation and all these things. And I want to say to you for the purpose of this message, that is another generation. That's a generation which will come hereafter. See, sometimes what we do is we get so focused on the young people and how they live and how they act and how their walk with God is that we forget as adults that our generation is still here. That we have a way in which we should live and a way in which we should go about our lives. And that in all of our concern, justified, good, righteous concern for the next generation of young people, the truth is is that every generation is responsible for reaching its generation with the gospel of Christ. Sometimes we get so worried about the next generation and what they're doing, and, and, and that they'll grow up, and that they'll stick with the stuff, and that they'll stand by the word. And I'll tell you this, if we do what we're supposed to, they'll see what it's truly supposed to be, and they'll stay. They'll stick with it. They'll hold to it. I'm not talking about songs sung. I'm not talking about standards or preferences in our life. I'm talking about true Holy Spirit conviction that God is who He says He is and that He's worthy to be served and that there's a way in which we should live that brings honor and glory to His name every day and that when we say the things that we say, it affects the way we live. This evening I'm asking you a question. That other, this question this evening is this. How does your generation affect another generation? Let's pray for just a moment and we'll get into this message. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, help me. Help me to be hidden behind your cross. Not as someone to be seen because I'm an expert or I'm worthy to say anything, Lord, but just as a tool in your hand. Lord, as we see your word and your scripture, Lord, may we have a burden not just for the next generation, but for our own. Lord, may we have a burden for our own lives that lives in such a way that exemplifies and testifies of your goodness and your grace in our lives. And God, may you help us. Would you move and work in our lives? Would you send your Holy Spirit to speak to us? Guide us, go with us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Judges chapter number two, it's the beginning of the book of Judges. We're all familiar of those judges that sent God sent to judge the people of Israel, but in the judging of the people of Israel, he was judging their oppressors. And that cyclical life they lived of sin judge and judgment, 
And then they would turn back to God for a little while and then they'd enter back in sin. And if we're true with ourselves, this is a life that many of us, especially here in America as Christians, we get in this cyclical life. We have something happen and and we turn to God and then we fall back into a lackadaisical way, if you will, of just averagely serving God in an everyday life and an everyday manner until something happens And it brings us back into the tension and the effect of understanding that God is there and He desires to move and He desires to work. And that is this passage that God is talking about here in the book of Judges. We know that great man of God, Joshua, who helped the children of Israel, followed after Moses and came in and brought them, ushered them into the land, if you will, helped them see their inheritance and and break it up. And it says that while Joshua lived, the children of Israel served God in all of his days. It even says in the passage there, if you look again with me in verse number, uh, verse number four, Uh, of the passage, or excuse me, verse number 6, it says, And when Joshua had let the people go, and the children of Israel, every man into his inheritance, possessed the land. Verse number 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, look, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. There was a generation that knew what it was to have mean to live for God. This was a generation of of people that loved God and they served God and they followed God and they, they tried their best to do what was right by God. But what is interesting to me is while that happened, there arose another generation. Oh, there was a generation that saw people living for God. There was a generation that followed, or if you will, they lived in the houses of the elders. They knew what it meant to have the leaders of the group, the community, to serve God. But the Bible says that generation that arose afterwards, that generation knew not God, nor the things which he had done for Israel. The Bible goes on to say that next generation rose up and did evil in the sight of the Lord. If I could help us understand that, if I, if I could help us picture that just so it's clear, so there's no question, it's like looking at each one of these young people and these teenagers in this room and saying, that's another generation. That's like saying us as adults that we strive to live for God and all the days that we are alive, Gateway Baptist Church and the Clarksville community lived for God. Man, what a testimony. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to say that church, well, Josh Farmer was the pastor and and the church members there in in those 2022 days, everyone that was there while they all were alive, they all served God. But then when they all died, this generation decided to do something different. I think you would agree our heart would be burdened. If we knew that, we'd be broken. It almost causes us to have a little bit of concern, a little bit of worry, a little bit of fear, to think that this generation, surely not, after living and seeing all that God had done and hearing about it, surely, surely, they would be able to stick by the stuff. But God says there was another generation these young people, if you will, that they grew up and they determined, that's not for me. Why is that? What is it? 
We don't really know what the difference was, but I think we can see in this passage a few things that was true. It's clearly here in the passage. Three quick things, and then we're going to get into what I believe God would have us for this evening. I want you to see three things about this generation real quick. Verse number 10 says this, that this was a generation first which knew not the Lord. How is that even possible? How is there even a generation right after Joshua who brought them into the promised land who while all the days of Joshua were alive and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, they served the Lord, but this generation of young people, they knew not the Lord. If I could, it's like saying it this way. Us as adults might have a walk with God. We know Him personally. But this generation of young people, these Christian young people, they never developed what it meant to walk with God themselves. They just did what mama and daddy did. They rode on God, uh, their parents' spiritual coattails, if you will. They, they just followed on the, on the moving and working and the moving and working of God in the lives of their parents and in the lives of their pastor and the lives of their youth leader and the lives of the deacons and the lives of the Sunday school teachers. That's what it was for them. But when they were all gone... When they were out on their own, the Bible says they knew not God. What a sad statement to think that we might have some young people in our church this evening who grow up in this place, hearing the word of God preach and seeing God move, and they become an adult for themselves. And the testimony of their lives is that they knew not God. Look with me. The Bible goes on to say, not only did they know not God, but the Bible says, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Not only was this a generation that knew not God and didn't know what it meant to commune with him, but they also didn't know the works that the Lord had done. I tell you, there's going to be a generation of young people, a group of young people who are going to look at this building. They're in the nursery right now. They don't remember what God had done. This is going to be where they grew up. This is what they're going to have. And I'll tell you this, that's a great thing. Glory to God. But if we're not careful, that's all they're going to know. Oh, I grew up at Gateway Baptist Church. They tell some story about someday how the Lord provided and and, and gave and and worked it out that, that this building was provided. But I don't know. That's where I've always gone to church my whole life. You ever notice, too, that we live in a day and age, if you read and read the stories, and I enjoy Christian biographies, men of God and ladies of God who God moved and worked in their lives. And you hear of God moving and working and working on their behalves, not in a church setting. I'm talking about in a personal way. What happened to having Christians who said, God has moved and worked and here's how, and this is what God has done for me, and let me tell you about it. And the truth is, is that there's a generation coming that if we're not careful, is going to rise up and they're not going to know what the works of the Lord has happened. Oh, not because it didn't happen, No, no, we have a God who works. We have a God who moves. But it's because they weren't told. They weren't reminded. They didn't see what had happened. 
There's another thing that we see in this passage in this next verse. Not only did they know not God and, the God and commune with him on a personal basis, not only did they not know the works which God had done, but verse number 11, they grew up, they arose another generation, and they decided that the way they would live would be for themselves. And God says it this way, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. If I were to end that right now, if we were to say, let's pray, we would all say, man, that's sad. That's discouraging. What are we going to do? How will we make a difference? What can be done, hopefully in your lives in this moment, that your heart is broken and burdened for this generation the generation to come, and we say, let's get them involved in the church and, and let's make sure that they have good Bible teaching and let's, sure that, let's make sure that they, they have everything they could and, and it, let's make sure that they grow up and that they're at church every Sunday. But can I tell you this? There has to be more. Want to know how I know? Because you and I, those of us that grew up in church our whole lives, we sat in pews like this beside young men and young women who are young people who say, God has saved me, I'm gloriously saved. I know that if I were to die today, and I, that, that I'd die and go to heaven, we sat beside them as young people. We sat beside them as teenagers. And today, if we were to ask and we were to bring those people to mind, your best friend that sat beside you in the pew and had his Bible or her Bible with you, if you were to think about their name right now as the Holy Spirit brings it to mind, you say, they don't go to church. They don't want anything to do with God. They've already gone away. But it's okay, it's okay as long as we work hard and we pray and, and we do those things. It's, it's all right. And I say to you, there has to be more. And the Bible's clear about it. This evening, this message is not necessarily about another generation. Though that may be the title, if you will, of the message. This message is about my generation. How will I affect these young people? How will I live and will it encourage them and help them and show them what it means to know God and to know the works which He's done and to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord? That's not a Sunday morning only kind of thing. That's not a Sunday morning, Sunday night kind of thing. That's an every day, every moment, every response Every word, every action, every deed, every step taken by faith lived in a life that says to these young people, He's worthy. And when He says that He's good and He's right and He's just and He's faithful, it's true. And it's not true just because someone came before and told me it's true. It's true, adult, because I have come to find out on a personal basis that it's true. And I want to show you. For just a few moments, I'd like to leave you with these three things. They follow right in line with the three things we just talked about. 
How? How are we going to make the difference? How are we going to know that when we pass on that there's going to be a generation which is arise? And as Psalm 24, 6 says, that there'll be the generation, this is the generation of them that seek the Lord. How do we see, how do we help this generation of young people, another generation, come to be a generation which does right, which walks after Lord. I think it's pretty obvious in the scriptures and I think we'll see it. The first thing that we have to do is that we have to live a life that means what it means to know God personally. So what do you mean by that? We say here, we see that this generation in in Judges chapter number 6, that it was a generation, the Bible says, which knew not the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Parents, grandparents, church member, when you walk through those doors, when you walk out of those doors at home and these young people are looking at you and they're talking to you, do they know that you've been with God personally? Parents, when was the last time your child walked in while you were reading and studying the scriptures? Parents, when was the last time that your, your children walked in and you were watching the TV? Oh, that we would have a generation that would look at us as a parents. I'm burdened by this, that my children see me. What do they see? Do they see a man that says, my dad knew God and I, I know he knew God because he wanted to be with him and he wanted to commune with him and he, he was always praying and he was always reading his Bible and he just, he just couldn't get enough. You all know those people. I've had the blessed opportunity to to grow up in a Christian home my whole life, to be in a good, God-fearing church. And you know those people in churches. Maybe some of it was your grandparents or it it was an older man or an older woman in the church that that you grew up in that when they talked about the things of God, it just wasn't the same because when they talked about the things of God, it was alive and it was real and it meant something to them. You know who I'm talking about. Those blessed saints of God. We used to call them old prayer warriors. You remember that? Those people in the church that you knew that throughout the day, maybe they couldn't get up and go door knocking or maybe they couldn't go out, but we knew one thing. They would be at home and they might be in their recliner or they might be at the kitchen table or they might be by the sink, but they were praying and they were audibly calling out people's names were coming to them and saying, God, help this person and help that person. What would it do if our next generation saw a group of this generation of Christians who knew the Lord personally, who saw what it means, says, man, I was driving down the road the other day with Brother John going on a visit, and he just couldn't help talk about what God was doing in his life. We walked in the church the other day, and it wasn't talk about sports, and that's okay. But it was talk about God. That's where we started. We talked about the prayer requests that we would had and the moving and working of God. Man, I want to be that person that when these young people look at me, they say, he's serious about this thing. There's something different. When he talks about the God, it's in a different way. He talks about God as if it's real to him. You understand what I'm saying? You know those people? When do they see you read the word? Well, when they go to bed, I, I, I 
I, w- I sit down and do my Bible study. No, that's good. I'm glad you're reading your Bible. Can I encourage you? Let them see you read their, your Bible. Let them see you study your word of Scripture right there. Let them walk in, and not for show, not to be seen. Don't go hide in a closet somewhere and read your Bible. Go sit at the kitchen table, set down the Word of God, and read and study. Let them come around the corner and go, oh, sorry. I didn't realize you were reading. Say, it's okay. Come here, let me show you what I'm reading. Let me tell you what God's doing in my heart. Let me share with you this passage of Scripture. You know, so often we're so busy with so many things. Our kids come to us. Mom, Dad, can I tell you what the Bible lesson was about? Uh, yeah, you can tell me, tell me later. Let me finish cooking lunch. Let me finish cooking supper. You can tell me after I put the laundry in the dishwasher. or Not the dishwasher, that's wrong. <sighs> they put the dishes in the dishwasher. You put the laundry in the washing machine. I promise I do help around the house occasionally. You understand what I'm saying? You want to know how our next generation, let's be honest, you want to know how we as adults, our generation learned to compartmentalize our Christianity? By watching the previous generation do it. And then we, we grow up, we, we become older, we watch these generations of young people and we say, where did it go wrong? Where did they miss the truth? Why didn't they get it? Because they never saw it as personal to us. It was just a tradition. It was just something we did. It's just something we talked about. We need Christians who will know what it means to fellowship with God. Can I take you to a New Testament example of this? Would you take your Bibles to 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy. I'm not talking about a show Christianity. I'm not talking about putting on a show or, or acting out a way. I'm talking about a Christianity that's real, that's, that's true, that's without show or without pomp and circumstance, if you will, but just true godly Christianity lived out. And can I say, if you're like me and you're a a younger adult and you had a a set of parents and have a set of parents who love God and have done their best, you thank them. You encourage them to keep going on because you need it. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 The Bible says this about Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 5. Paul writing to Timothy here says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Paul writing here saying to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, you've got something. There's something that encourages me when I'm called to remembrance that you walk a Christian life that is unfeigned, he uses. That word unfeigned means it's the stuff. It's genuine. It's real. It's honest. There is no show. There is no pomp and circumstance. There's no question that this person believes it. Timothy had a faith that was unfeigned. 
but it didn't just start with him. The Bible's very clear. Which dwelt first in thy... And we would think immediately as parents, oh, it was his mama and daddy had it. Grandparents, do you see it in the scriptures? It's not about mom and dad first. It's about you. Say, I, I know, but I don't want to tell my kids how, how to raise their kids. It's okay. You encourage them and you show them what it's like to walk with God. I'm so thankful to know that my grandmother knew Christ as her personal Savior. Such a blessing in my heart and in my life. But it just wasn't her grandmother. It wasn't just Timothy's grandmother. It was also in his mother Eunice, or Lois and Eunice, there is mother. And I ask you this question. When your kids see you, when this another generation sees your generation, do they see a generation which has already gotten to the point where it knows not God? It worries me, it concerns me, if you will, that we're already there. That we as adults have already become the another generation. I'm not talking about people outside of these doors. I'm talking about us. Do we live lives that knows God personally? The second thing that I think we need to have is not just a, a, a generation that, that knows what it means to live God personally, but we need this generation, our generation, my generation, to be a generation that tells the next, that rehearses to the next generation all the works of God and that He's done. We talk so often about, man, I just can't get enough of talking about God. Then why don't we do it? Let me ask you a question. What has God done in your life? If we were to pass around a microphone, and I'm talking, yes, salvation, but I'm talking in addition to salvation. If we were to really be for a moment and say, man, God's been good. I could just testify to the goodness of God in my life. Let's not wait for a testimony service to pull one of these young people aside and say, can I tell you how good God's been to me? I had this prayer request recently, and God answered it. You know, we sure do talk a lot about prayer requests, and that's biblical. But why don't we start talking more about answered prayer? We all have it. Sometimes it's the small things that we just skim over in the busyness of life. And what's going to happen is we're going to have a generation of young people who are going to grow up and say, I don't know if prayer's worth it. I always saw my mom and dad pray, but they never really said if God ever met. They never said if God really answered those prayers. Could I encourage you? If you're having some struggles in your home and you're praying for something, maybe it's financially, maybe it's health-related, maybe it's, it's something else, and God meets and answers those prayers, don't be embarrassed to pull your young person aside and say, let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you about how good God's been in my life. And this is not just a parent, a parent message. I am not just preaching to those of us that have children. If you're here in this room and you don't have children in this room, can I tell you something? 
It's clear in the scriptures in Timothy that us old men are supposed to grab these young men and pull them to the side and say, let me tell you about what God's done. And I'll say this. For some of you, you look at me and you say, well, you're not one of the old men. Well, then pull me aside and tell me about what God's done. Because I need it. These young fathers need it. We get to a point in our Christianity where we say, well, my time's paid. My kids are grown. I'm just riding off into the sunset till God calls me home. Can I tell you, this is not how God intended it for to be. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter number 71. Psalm chapter number 71. This passage of scripture, speaking of the generation, Psalm chapter number 71 and verse number 19, the Bible says, excuse me, Psalm chapter number 71, verse number 17. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Verse number 18, would you look at it with me? Now, would you circle that word if you mark it in your scriptures? Now, also when I am old and gray-headed. If you're here and that classifies you as one of those people, can I say praise the Lord for you? Praise God for your faithfulness. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't determine and say, well, I'm done. My usefulness here is no longer. My kids are grown and there's nobody else for me. Can I say this? I need you. My wife needs you. Our pastor needs you. These young people need you. The Bible says in verse number 18, Now also when I am old and gray-headed... Oh God, forsake me not. Look here. Until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to every one that is to come. Thy righteousness also, O God, is very high. Who hath done great things, O God, who is like unto thee? Thou, which hast showed me great and sore troubles, shall quicken me again and shall bring me up again from the depths of the earth. And thou, thou shalt increase my, my greatness and comfort me on every side. I will also praise thee with the psaltery. Even thy truth, O my God, unto thee will I sing with the harp. O thou holy one of Israel, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long. Can I say to you, we got to get back to where we're just talking about the goodness of God again. I've only lived 36 years on this earth. I praise the Lord that I came to know Christ as, as an early age. But can I tell you this? For those of you that have lived longer than 36 years and you've known Christ for many, many years, please tell us what God's done. Remind us that He's good. Rehearse those things over and over and over again. Let me tell you about God and what He did in my days. And I pray that what we'll come to find out is that it will not be, let me tell you about what God did in the past. It'll be, let me tell you what God did today. Because can I remind you, God has not changed. 
He has not stopped desiring to work. He has not stopped wanting to work. In fact, he has not stopped working. We've just stopped looking and we've stopped talking about it. Could you turn over with just a second back to Psalm 78? Just want to show you another passage of scripture here. Psalm 78. We've been here many times in a later portion of the scripture with our pastor. And Psalm 78 verse number 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. Catch it here. Here's the emphasis. And our fathers have told us. Dads in this room, could I have your attention just for a moment? Don't let your wife be the only person who ever talks about the goodness of God in your household. Especially if you have a young man in your house. Because he'll grow up, excuse me, believing that it's mom's God and dad knows nothing about it. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying that this is the truth. This generation needs a group of men and fathers who will determine I'm going to know God personally and I'm going to talk about the things God's done in my life. The Bible goes on to say there in verse in, in, in uh, chapter 78 of Psalm and Verse number four, we will not hide them from their from we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. We need a generation who will stand up and declare the works of God. And then there's a third thing. Not only do we need a generation who knows God personally and walks with God, not only do we need a generation of people who will talk about the things of God and the work of God and what God's doing, and can I remind you, I'm not just simply talking about the things that God's doing down at the church. What's God doing personally in your life? Say, I don't know. Maybe we need to take an evaluation. Again, maybe the another generation has already come. But the Bible also needs to know, or the, this next generation, another generation, we need a generation of Christians, my generation, to live by doing what is right in the eyes of God. What I'm saying is we need a generation of Christians to return to holy living. I'm not talking about pushing standards on other people. I'm not talking about condemning someone when they don't live in a certain way that we think is right. No. I'm talking about a life lived with the understanding that God is good and that he saved our sinful, wicked souls and it must mean that I cannot live the way everyone else does. The Bible says that we're to be set apart. We're supposed to be 
sanctified, if you will. That's not a word of, let me put on my suit and tie and walk around all high and mighty. No, no, that's a word that says, I am His. The places I go, the things I watch, the words I say, the entertainment that I enjoy, it's His to make the decision. We have a generation of Christians, I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about in America, who are fast and quickly fleeing from holy living. And if we're not careful, those of us that say, amen, that's right, and I'm not trying to beat you down or anything, we quickly just usher it in. It's easier just to not say anything in a loving way or not to live a life that is done that just says, I'm going to live this way. And when it comes to your family, can I, can I tell you this? If your standards may be different from someone else's standards, don't belittle that other family. Because can I tell you something? They are probably just living in the light that God has given them. You pray for them and you encourage them and you help them. And guess what? you might come to find to realize that you're the one who needs to have your self-adjusted and your view, so to speak. It's amazing how quickly we find the things that are near and dear to us and we make them the big issue. And our kids watch and they learn and they watch mom and dad talk about it when they walk out of the house and come home and A does not equal B. Well, you act one way at church, and you act one way when we go out to the community, and you act one way on those things, but you come home, and the way you talk to mom doesn't match up, dad, and the, the way that you, you, you talk to us, it doesn't, it doesn't match up with the way you talk at church. I don't understand, and we wonder why another generation comes into the church house and says, I don't want anything to do with that. And we heard the old term, we all have heard it. Well, there's hypocrites at the church house. I wonder how many of those people who say that really are really truthfully saying, my family's a bunch of hypocrites. Now look, we know that there's a lot of people who use that saying just for a, an excuse so they, they, they don't live the way they should live. But there's a lot of Christians too who really need to evaluate their life and say, God... Not pastor, not Sunday school teacher, not someone else, but God. How does my life line up with you? I want to do right by your life and your way and your eyes. It's a somber message. I think you would all agree with me that if we don't do something, there will arise another generation but it'll be a Judges chapter 2 generation. It'll be a generation which knows not God. Which knows not the works which he's done. And which does what's ever right in their own eyes. I started the message by saying no doubt we were burdened for this generation. I know it. 
I've talked to many of you who are encouraged and helped by these young people when they are on fire and they come back from camp and God's moving and working in their lives. Well, can I tell you the greatest thing you can do in addition to prayer is start talking and living around them about the God that you want them to serve. If we were to take a, a, a survey or an evaluation of our lives, come here, Jude. Come here real quick. Hurry, quickly. And the evaluation said that this young man, the God that he serves in his future will be equal to the God that you truly, honestly say or live your life after. I wonder how many of us would hit this altar in tears because another generation is not going to know the God we wish they would know. They're going to know the God of comfort and the God of entertainment, the God of pleasure. And I'm broken. Because my children, if I were to take that survey, probably would never know the God that I truly wish they will. And this, again, is not just a parent thing. Young adults, there's a generation watching you of teenagers looking at you, listening to you, desiring to be like you, teenagers. There's a group of young people watching you, watching you see how you respond to church and how you come to church prepared. You children that are in here tonight and you have your Bibles open, God bless you and you're listening so well. There's a generation of young people in that nursery they're going to come out and they're going to watch you and they're going to listen to you and they're going to see how you respond to God. And if we're not careful, another generation is going to rise up and our hearts are going to be broken. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin, my failures. God, help me to rehearse the things that you've done in my life to my children. Help me to live a life that shows them what it means to live personally with you and know you. And help me to live a life that is holy before your eyes. God, for the teenagers in this church that have their eyes on me, may they only see you. God, help us. May this generation be a generation that's burdened. Not just for the young people, but to live lives 
that testify of your goodness. Help us now. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I invite you to stand to your seat, your feet and ask you this question. If it was up to you, if it was determined based off the way you live, what would happen to another generation? If it was all based off of your faith, off of your walk with God, after your living, what would happen to another generation? I tell you this, God does not condemn you. He stands with you arms wide open and says, I love you and I want to know you. The altars are open this evening. You come if you need to.